Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Diane. Hi. Um, is this microphone part of the recording thing, or is it just that? No? Okay. Hello, I'm Diane. I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi, um, I've been in the rooms to stay since 1986. Uh, I've had three abstinence during that time. Each time I broke it, it was for a minor, it was a more minor thing each time. In other words, my program's gotten cleaner and sharper and less sloppy as the years have gone on. Uh, I'm currently, I broke my abstinence uh, a little less than two years ago because I had a chicken drumstick after dinner, and that is not my abstinence, so I started over. October 29th, I hope I'll have two years this time. Uh, I'm down between 35 and 50 pounds, I don't know, because I stopped weighing at one point. Um, I first came into the rooms in 1983, I heard the God stuff, and I turned around and left. I had more eating to do. Um, I came back in 1986, and as I said, I've never left, because even though the God stuff still irritated me, um, I heard my story. I heard my story. I thought I was the only one who snuck food, stole food, ate frozen food, ate out of garbage pails, um, had food under the bed, uh, had big deep pockets where I could put my food in. Um, I would sit in closets and eat. Um, I had a shame, shame, shame-based addiction to food. Bulk food, bulk, a lot of sugar, a lot of crunchy, salty stuff starch, shove it in my mouth as quickly as possible. I don't think I remember eating. I just remembered I had to. Um, I really learned to taste food in these rooms uh, because I didn't before. I just needed, there was a desperation about getting it into my mouth quickly, as quickly as I could. Um, been on every diet, every single one. I, uh, the first one was when I was 14 and I took pills with my mother and my doctor's blessing. Um, and so on. I mean, every diet. I'm 72 years old. I have been on a diet since I'm 14. So that's kind of a long time. And, um, it, and, and, and it was Weight Watchers three times and the fasting with the little things of protein and shots in your thigh and uh, pills, uh, speed, um, I didn't ever went to a fat camp, but I went to fat farms. Um, I always took it off, and I always put it on with an extra 10. Always. I'm not a 100-pounder, but my sister was a 100-pounder, and she died of our disease um, at 315 pounds. That's what she weighed on the coroner's table. And she died of our disease. Uh, because her insides were so messed up by having so much fatty tissue around them that she couldn't heal properly from a surgery that she'd done. 
She was also a cocaine addict and an alcoholic. I was spared. I just had the food thing, okay? And I really had the food thing. Um, I woke up pretty much every morning of my life determined that this would be the day that I would finally start the diet that was going to be the last diet that I would ever have to go on in my life. It would change my life. I would be skinny. I would be loved. I would have a successful career. I would be not ignored or found invisible, which is how I felt my entire childhood. I would be successful all because I would be slender. I went, and, and often that was a nice feeling because it did last for a while if I had diets, right? And I was on them, and okay, that's nice. And then, of course, inevitably, there came the day when I had the little thing that didn't make the diet work very well, and it became, up oh, well, and then I was off at the races again. And those nights, and every night after, until I could go back on a diet, I hated myself when I went to bed. Every single night, I hated myself when I went to bed. And every single time, I binged, and I binged nonstop. I was an ugly binger. I binged in the car. I, had, I left sleeping children alone in the house to go get my junk food at the 7-Eleven. Uh, there could have been a fire. I could have been in a car accident. I didn't care. I had to get my food. Not very attractive, by the way. I was an addict. That's how it is. I've made amends to them. They were very young. They said they don't remember. Um, I'm very glad that they're nice to me that way. Um, I also was in therapy much of my life, starting when I was in college. Um, and one of the doctors, oh, by the way, I've been to four or five different therapists, all very helpful, by the way. I'm a complete believer in therapy. I, I like to know why. The thing is, the therapy didn't fix the why. I had to come here to know what to do about the why. I mean, I think both work very well together. But one of them told me that I wasn't really highly neurotic, just neurotic enough to be basically unhappy my entire life. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's no longer true. Because the thing that was pretty much making me constantly unhappy was what I perceived as the extra weight on my body, but was my rock-solid knowledge that inside I was not lovable, I was not important, I was not seen, my needs would never get taken care of, I was loved but only conditionally. In my house, I was loved. I had a wonderful mother. And by the way, I buried her at age 96 two years ago. And I was a fabulous caretaker to her because of the rooms. Because of the rooms. She loved me very much. But my sister and my father were very challenging for her. So she got to me when she could. So I was the one that was, you're okay. You're in the corner. You're fine. And the drama was over there. And I was, you know, I have a picture in my head that I'm under the table, the dining room table, and there's um, a tablecloth, and I'm under it, and I have my fingers in my ears like this because they're yelling. There's so much anger in my house. There was so much anger in my house, and I was scared to death of it. I'm still not great when people are angry in the rooms, ever. When people are angry, I'm not great, but again, 
in the rooms, I've learned to deal with it. I really have, and it's been fine. Um, I was going to be a star on Broadway, um, <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm, quite, I'm quite a talented actor, actually, and I have made my living, believe it or not, as an actor, but as a voice actor. And I've made my living as a voice actor because I kept myself from looking like I needed to look to be on stage, on camera. I wasn't fat. I was told I was not fat enough to be a fat part, to do the fat parts. I wasn't thin enough to do the thin parts. I wasn't pretty enough to do the pretty parts, and I wasn't ugly enough to do the ugly parts. I was told that. Now, I know a lot of people out there who are heavy, and they go for it anyway, and there's some very successful people, obviously, more and more we can see. Um, but I didn't have that fire in the belly. I was too scared, and I did not like myself, and I really did not like myself. By the way, you wouldn't know that from my outsides. I came across as breezy, confident, New York. I know my stuff, you know. I'm also very, very smart. And ask me how much good that's done with the weight thing. Okay? I mean, great, you know, great grades in school and, and arrogant, arrogant. I know the answer. I was that kid. I know, I know. I mean, don't you hate that kid? Mm. But I had to have worth, and that was how I proved my worth. It was how I showed you that I deserved to have my place in the planet. So we fast forward to, oh, lovers, and I had a very interesting life. Um, I was a theater major, so of course I was promiscuous. <coughs> anyway, um, I did I did use uh, sex uh, a lot uh, to get my way. I was large, but I was very curvy. And um, there's always people that like that, bless their hearts, you know. It was all good. And um, and and sometimes I went to bed with you, but I didn't want to. But I didn't know how to say no. Um, and that was when I was younger. I got better at that as I got older. Um, I fell in love with the man that I would marry um, when I was on the road with the singing group. I'm a singer, too. Um, and um, we had two beautiful children, and the marriage ended. Um, and I was very fat by the time the marriage ended. I was probably, the bit, I don't know, way over 200 pounds. I really don't know. Um, I was in Moomoo's, um, and I, um, for those of you who don't know what Moomoo's are, there's big Hawaiian things with lots of flowers on them, and you think it's masking your body, and it really is making your body worse. Than it is. Anyway, um, my heart was broken. I started to lose weight again after the marriage was over because it was no longer working, and I just kept eating instead of facing it. Um, and then... And, and usually every time I would take up with a new lover, um, I would lose weight. Because in that first thing, you know, you, oh, I can't eat. Well, I could eat. But I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I didn't eat as much. And I'm talking about food eating. So let's be very careful. I'm sorry. I'm watching my language. I'm being good. Okay. <sighs> anyway, um, this time I fell in love in 1985, deeply in love. And the kids, the families blended and everything was nice. And I didn't lose weight. And it was the first time ever. And, I, and he seemed to, you know, he was okay with me, but I wasn't okay with me. I hated myself. 
So that's when I had come in, as I said, two years before and the thing and the God and I left. Okay, so now I came back in 1986 to stay. And I had quite a journey uh, to go through, quite a journey. Um, I didn't find a higher power for eight or nine years. Um, after two or three years, I decided what I could. I hated act as if, excuse me, that's crap. No, I don't act as if either it's real or it's not. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, the arrogance, amazing stuff. Um, I finally would, I finally came, came to understand that the stuff that was staying in my head was messing me up. And I needed to get it out of my head to let the program work. And I didn't have a higher power to give it to, so I just basically said, get out of my head, and that was good enough. Just out into the universe or whatever it is. My higher power did come to me um, in a dream. I still have the same higher power. She's a um, robed, very vague figure that's robed, kind of like the Madonna. And um, she, I have a, another image of my childhood where I'm very small and my arms are up for a hug and no one picks me up. I mean, that's like a bad movie, but it's really how I think of my childhood. And in my dream, she picked me up and she cuddled me. You know, you put a baby's head right there. That's the best place in the world. That's what she did for me in the dream. And I woke up and I went, I have a higher power. This is wonderful. Well, I have to take my hearing aids out because I'm sweating and I will ruin my hearing aids. Okay. <laughs> anyway, gee, it would be nice if we had air conditioning or a fan, huh? Um, anyway, um, I'll just keep sweating. It's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Um, so I have this, all of a sudden I have this higher power, so I have this place to put the stuff. And I'm going to tell you, again, 29 years I've been in the rooms, I have finally gotten step three as of about two years ago. Meaning, there is nothing I cannot turn over to my higher power. That's called surrender with a capital S-U-R-R-E-N-D-E-R. Nothing. There is nothing in life, in the universe, in the world, that I cannot turn over to my higher power after I've done, oh bless you, after I've done all the work. And when I say that I really didn't get this till about two years ago, it's because about two years ago, I finally came to realize that I was sponsoring myself. And sort of like only a, you know, that saying about lawyers, only a lawyer has himself as a, what is it, a fool has himself as a client, whatever it is, something on that effect. It's the same thing. You can't sponsor yourself in, in these rooms. I'm sorry, you can't. That's just how it is. You can try, but if you really think you can be that objective to look at your behavior and be very calm and detached and cool, look at it, then you're more arrogant than I was. <laughs> you know? And what I had at that time was a kind of a nominal sponsor that was sort of, oh, yeah, you're fine. And I didn't need that, and I finally realized what I needed, finally, was to really develop some discipline. Now, let me just tell you, the progress over the years up until that time was marvelous. 
I gave up a lot of my arrogance and realized if I didn't remain teachable and hear what people said, I was in trouble. Okay? I gave up binging, the big binges from the old days, the, the hours at a time of eating everything, going to parties and taking stuff into a bathroom and locking the door. Oh, by the way, great acronym I heard. Shame. Fill the shame. Shame, the acronym is uh, should have already mastered everything. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's what it is. I'm supposed to know everything, and I'm ashamed that I don't. Guess what? I have more to learn. What a concept. Um, so I, I gave up a lot of that. I also had a very, very sarcastic mouth, uh, which I don't know if you can tell. is <laughs> kind of second nature to a lot of us brash New Yorkers. Um, but I really don't anymore. I'm, I'm nice. I, I, you know, when I was younger, the thought of being nice was the most Nelly thing I'd ever heard in my life. I mean, nice was so, you know, acceptable. I mean, I wanted to be different, and I wanted to be important and unique and special and what no one else had ever been before. But I'm nice, and I'm kind now, and I, I help people, and I listen to people without having to plan what I'm going to say to them. And I don't interrupt them anymore. And I wait for them to finish. And I'm a wonderful grandmother. They love me. Of course they, they love me. I love them to pieces. I don't ask them to be anything other than what they are. And the same with my kids. I don't try to change them. I am not one of those interfering mothers. You know, once in a while I say, you, you should call me more, but I guess you're not listening. Okay, bye. And that's about, you know, as interfering as, as I get. And, and they should call me more. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I've, I've learned all these things in the rooms. I've learned to process things. Fear. I am in so much fear this week. I'm in a lot. Look at me smiling. Um, there's some money problems. And I didn't prepare well for them, so you wake up every morning, your stomach's in terror. What does higher power do with that? Well, it makes you say, okay, serenity prayer, what do you do about this? What can I do about this? What I can do, I can make a list. I can look at the numbers instead of hoping they're okay. Just look at them in the face. I can see where the money's going to come from, what I'll have to give up to put in, da, da, da. And then it's clear and then I have the plan, which is simply a plan, and you take that extra element of worry and you give it to your higher power. Because all you need is the plan. The other stuff that you put on top of it, the worry, the fear, the oh my God, the catastrophizing, that stuff keeps us from going through with our plan. And what a concept. That's true with everything. I have a cousin who lives far away in another country, and I'm going to be nursing her through a very bad cancer treatment. And I'm terrified to lose her. She's like my baby sister. And I'm terrified to lose her. What can I do about it? I can nurse her. I can be there for her. I can love her. We talk. I'm on the phone with her all the time. Thank you, God, for WhatsApp. Do you all have WhatsApp that you can make phone calls? Okay, anyway... Um, I'm going to be there and I'm going to love her. Do I have any say about whether she's going to live or die? I get through this? I really don't. Knowing that, higher power. I don't have the kind of higher power that many do. And bless your hearts if you got it. I just don't. 
that controls who lives and dies, that gives people cancer. I don't have that higher power. Life is difficult. Life is not fair. Life is impersonal. Life just is. And my higher power helps me get through everything. What is that noise? That's not part of us? Oh, okay. I thought it was some signal that I wasn't aware of. Um, so that, my higher power helps me get through whatever life puts in my face. That's, that's my higher power, which is so nice. Because I don't have to get angry at that higher power. Because it didn't do anything. It didn't cause anything. It didn't make me lose my face. It's just there, 24-7. I write letters to my higher power in the morning. Not every morning, and I would love to do it every morning. And hello, imperfect woman that I am, I don't do it every morning. But when pushed to the wall and I have a lot of problems, I do it. And I say, dear higher power, and I start. She always answers me. She always answers me with, I am here always. I never leave you. I am always here. And that's the step three thing. See, I never had anybody in my life that was always here for me. My mom loved me, but there were conditions. My husband loved me, but he had some problems. Um, friends love you, but they have families and husbands. And, you know, there's no human being that can give us 100% unconditional love. There just isn't. But a higher power can, because it's not human. And it's my higher power. I'll lend it to you if you want it, but it's mine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't have a global higher power. I don't have an old man in the sky. That's what I ran from the first time. I thought it had to be that. And I came to these rooms and found out, no, it doesn't have to be that guy. It can be my higher power. And that's why I'm so happy. Food, oh my dear, what a difference. I mean, my abstinence is I eat three meals a day. Two snacks if needed, but I hardly ever do need them. I really only, I don't use them as an excuse. If I'm going eight, eight hours between meals, I get a snack. Otherwise, put up with the hunger, you're not going to die. Hard one, I don't like being hungry. I always think I am going to die. Okay. It's also, I do not eat recreational sugar, no matter what. And I recently added, I do not eat crunchy, salty snack foods. That includes crackers, chips, nuts, all that stuff that you is in a bowl when you go to somebody's house. Because it's not in my house. I can't keep it in my house. And you go there and you do with a hand. I can't eat it. Okay, And I don't have crackers either because it just sets me off. And that's it. I don't have a flour thing yet. I hardly ever have bread just because when you get to a certain age, it just puts your hips on. You know, it just, flour is the worst thing for an aging woman. It just is. It's just a fact. And why do that to myself? But once in a while, I'll have a, I'll have a half a sandwich or something. You know, so it doesn't seem to be a problem. I eat healthy. I eat humongous salads. When I say humongous, lettuce. Lots of lettuce. Cut up fresh vegetables and some protein. Little bit of dressing. That's what I eat. And I love it, by the way. And I have yogurt and I have, you know, high fiber cereal and fruit. And by the way, and tofu. I love tofu. In a salad, it tastes like, in, you know, on its own. But you put it in something else with other flavors, it's great. And I really like that stuff, you guys. Who is this woman? I mean, I, I'm seriously, everyone says I'm the healthiest eater they know. And, and it's true. 
and it's true. And my only once in a while having too much food is when I, I want an extra piece of chicken or I want I, I still like bulk, and I'm working on it. I still would rather eat very, very bulkily. That would make me very happy. Oh, I'm going to have to take this off. Okay. I don't know how much it's going to help, but okay. This is really close to intolerable, the heat. Uh, but I'll do anything for my program. <laughs> also, I, I really don't do well in heat. I'm one of those people. Um, and I never have, even as a child, I used to be in a very bad, very depressed mood. And I've been fighting that since this heat, heat wave. I've been really fighting the need to just whine and be incredibly unattractive, you know. Uh, but program, again, higher power. Accept it. Realize what your part in it, what your character defect is. You're whining. You want control. You want the world to be the way you want it. Tough. It ain't, you know. And that, and that's okay, too. i um, trying to think what else I wanted to say. To, oh, yes, so two years ago I got really, really stricter. Be, well, I got a real hard-ass sponsor. I got one of those people who has a, she's one of those big book thumpers with the, this is what sobriety with food is, and this is what you do, and this is what you do. And I did it on purpose, because I knew I was drifting and letting myself get away with stuff. And she has me on a pretty rigid schedule of stuff. And I said yes, because I was ready, and I was not ready for 27 years but then I was, because it was time. And I commit my, I write a 10-step every single night, a very thorough one. I commit my food for the next day. If it changes, I text all of the changes. If I am going to have a snack, I text it way beforehand. I eat nothing impulsively. I do some writing that she assigns to me in the morning. I do it every morning that I talk to her. I go to three meetings a week. I, excuse me, I sponsor people. And I bring that higher power of mine with me everywhere I go. I brought her with me when I was in the car before I got up here. And I brought her with me when I sat right here waiting to, to come up here and talk. I brought her, I went to a meeting this morning that I love. I brought her there. I went to a, a, a workshop thing this afternoon. I brought her there. I had a nice lunch. I brought my higher power there. I sometimes remember to pray before I don't always, but I always have this higher power. Step three is the entire program as far as I'm concerned. If I don't have that higher power, left to my own devices, I, I'm a mess. I, I really am. I'm a mess. I'm sloppy. I'm not good. But today, I have a, I kind of wake up in the morning with none of that dread, you know, that horrible dread that sits in your stomach. Oh, God, I don't have, you know, I have fear when I wake up lately because of a couple other little things apart from the ones I mentioned. But I write it out. What's the fear? I do a fear inventory when I'm directed to do it. I do, a, you know, I do what I'm directed to do. And once in a while, she hands me something she wants me to do, and I go, nah, that doesn't work for me. And we have to talk about it. And I have to listen to her side of it, you know. And I do my best. Honestly, that's all I can do is my best. But I have to have a very serious intention to be in these rooms. And, oh boy, I do. It's my life. They call it the last house on the block. I can't go anywhere else. This is the answer for me to have a very nice life and a nice old age and, and so on. And I am done and I want to take questions now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh!
Thank you, thank you. Okay, who wants to ask me a question? Really? Okay. Yes. Can I talk about how I sponsor? I have a very specific way I sponsor. Um, I have a series of questions that I was given by my first very important sponsor years and years ago that I asked them to read certain parts and then answer them. Um, I tell them, first of all, I tell them, I'm not your mother, I'm not your shrink, and I'm not your best friend, and I will fail you because I'm a human being. I make that very, very clear in the beginning. If we start getting a kind of a worship thing going, I point it out because it's just too much for me to deal with and not fair to them. You know, so I'm very clear about it. I always share a lot of my own experience because I'm so imperfect. The other day, I actually had a thought that I would like to have cancer so people pay attention to me. Is that one of the most unattractive things you've ever heard someone say? But I had that thought. And I said to myself, ah, you're having that thought. And somebody, one of my sponsor, mentioned some little needy thing that was going on. And I said, listen to this. And I wasn't trying to top her, but just, we all have these really unattractive thoughts all the time, as long as we don't act on them or actually verbalize them, except when, when it's appropriate. So what? So what? So they do that, and I do have my people call Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. I need Wednesdays off, because as I age, I need one morning to sleep in. Um, I do ask them to send me their food, and I work the steps always. Yeah, and I also really push service positions, because without them, you're not going to, I have to have a reason to come to the meetings because I'll always try to talk myself out of it. You know, that's how I sponsor. Yes? Can you talk a little bit about Step 11? I'd love to. Can I talk about Step 11? This is an interesting story. I didn't pray and meditate for years and years and years and years. And then I was asked to lead a Step 11 meeting. And I said, but I don't pray and meditate. They said, well, okay, talk about that. So I went to the meeting, and I talked about that. And I know I should, I said, because it says it. But I don't seem to, you know, that, that, that. And the lady who was the treasurer of that meeting raised her hand and said that she had to leave and somebody needed to take over treasurer. And I raised my hand. And all of a sudden, I'm treasurer of this meeting. And I have to come to this meeting every week. Well, part of this meeting is a 10-minute 10-minute meditation at the end of the meeting. And I thought, okay. And I did this 10-minute meditation at the end of the meeting. And I thought, I can do this. And then I started doing it at home, except I made it a seven-minute meditation because the clock goes off and I push, I press down and it gives me a seven-minute snooze button, you know that one? And that's how long I meditate. And somebody gave me a mantra that they use when they meditate, and I thought, that works. And all of a sudden, I pray and meditate. Not all of a sudden at all. It took years. Every single morning. If I don't do it, I don't feel right during the day. Something's off. I have to invite my higher power into my life every morning. She's always there. It's me that forgets that she's there. Yes. Yes, how can, can I talk about how I keep up my program on traveling or around a lot of people, big dinner parties, stuff like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
I have to do a lot of work beforehand. Um, I have lately been asking my hosts, if I'm going to somebody's house for dinner, what they're having. And I've asked them to please let me know kind of specifically, because then I get to commit to my sponsor what I'll be eating. And that helps. Traveling, boy, does my sponsor get on me on this one. I really kind of have a little bit of a, do I have to do all this? I'm traveling. <laughs> I, I, I have that mentality, and she calls me on it. She said, you've got to bring your program with her, or else you're in trouble. And I said, yeah, I know, but, you know, I really, she said, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> She's very nice, by the way. She says, I don't want to hear it. And I say, you're right. You don't need to hear it. By the way, when she used to say those things to me in the beginning, I was very defensive. And I was trying to answer and a, very, and a reason. And I realized it was keeping me from hearing things I needed to hear. So I, w I wrote about my defensiveness, which is that I've always had my dukes up my whole life, waiting to be attacked. Now I don't. I hear it. It's in wonderful phrase. Another one. Information, not ammunition. Isn't that good? That's my daughter's therapist. She came up with that. But I love that. Don't you think? I mean, that's really, really good stuff. It's, I need the information. If I take it as criticism, that's my stuff. This is information. You know, so I take my reading books with me on my trip. I always take my computer with me. I try to find at least one meeting a week if I can. If I can't, fine. I sponsor. I still have them call me, whatever the time difference is, unless I'm in a 15 hours difference, then forget it. Um, and I do what I do at home. I mail my food in. I, you know, I send in my tents. I do everything I am at home. Now, that's... I don't do it really, really well yet, but I'm getting to understand that I must or else I'm in trouble. So that, yes? Hi, thank you so much, Gurley. Um, what does exercise or movement look like for you, and how has it progressed, or what does it look like for you? And what does exercise or movement do for me? It gets me out of depression. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. When I'm down, if I, don't, if I exercise, I'm back up again. It, it regulates my body. I am in really good shape for my age. I, am, I have low blood pressure. I have no cholesterol problems. And the way I eat and the way I exercise, I usually walk intense three, four miles walking three days a week or so, and then I go to curves once or twice a week. You know, and I make myself do this because do I like it? Absolutely not beforehand. I don't like it beforehand. I always love it while I'm doing it and after it's over. But boy, my disease voice, by the way, I'm always having this to be, this disease voice, wow, you know? You sure you need to exercise? It's so hot. Come on. You'll do it. You'll do it later. You'll do it in the afternoon when you're not so tired. Right. I'm exhausted in the afternoon. You know. But, but it's always there. My disease has become more and more subtle and sophisticated as the years have gone on. This is the truth. It, it masks itself brilliantly, and I like to listen to it, and I'm in trouble when I do. So I'm really working on identifying that voice. That's what I do, yeah. Yes? What do you recommend finding a sponsor and not trying to control getting the perfect sponsor? Yes, yes. What do I recommend about finding a sponsor and that whole thing about finding the perfect sponsor? I've never had a perfect sponsor. 
I, all I know is that every sponsor I've had has taught me, has brought me one other thing in the program I needed to hear. They might not have the, the, this little old lady from Texas, she gave me my higher power. Okay, this other woman who was a sort of born-again weird person, she gave me writing. <laughs> no, really, really, she gave, she gave me writing. I've had, I, I have a, such a, such a variety. I, I keep thinking I want someone like me. <laughs> because then we can talk. No, actually, that doesn't work. I need someone not me. I really do. Also, I play mind games because, again, I'm bright, and I'm verbal, and I can do stuff. I need someone who doesn't buy that stuff. I need someone who absolutely goes, fine, next, you know? I really do. <laughs> and that's good. I need to be busted. How do you do it? Ask, ask someone who sounds good when they pitch. I don't know, you know? And the worst thing that will happen is it doesn't work out, and you'll get someone else. Nothing's forever. I've had five or six long-term sponsors and 10 or 12 short-term sponsors. The program doesn't depend on my sponsor, but it's, it's been brought along by all the sponsors I've had. Yeah. Thank you. It's over. Thank you. <laughs>